0: Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the Church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. Our Redeemer hath said, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the world. This command I consider as still binding. Since the promise of Christ's presence reaches to the utmost corner of the earth and to the remotest boundaries of time. These are the words of one of the first missionaries in the modern missions movement, a man by the name of William Ward, who died on the 7th of March in 1823. On this episode of This Week in Church History, Dr. Michael McMullen and I will have an opportunity to talk about William Ward and missions and how important it was at the beginning of the 19th century and his work with William Carey, the famed missionary uh, to India. So, Dr. McMullen, welcome back.
1: Thank you. How's the sabbatical going? Um, It's going well. Um, It didn't begin well. I I was ill for a number of weeks. That's always a great way to begin a sabbatical. Definitely. But um, I've recovered and... um, I've submitted one of the projects for which I was on sabbatical. So my book on Wilberforce um, is is with the publisher now.
0: Excellent. Do we have a timeline where we might be able to expect
1: that? Uh, yes. You can um, uh, contribute to my retirement fund beginning officially on September 10th of this year. Though, of course, you can pre-order on Amazon. <laughs> Just ignore the, the wrong cover and title that they have there. Oh, no. But um, that hopefully, um, people at Amazon will correct what is amiss. Yeah, somewhere those robots will
0: go in there and fix that. Right. Yeah, people. Supposedly, Amazon, what is yeah, all robots? Yeah, they in the way. Get, yeah, the it's role. just, it's all about the robots. Well, uh, you, in, in your work on Wilberforce, if uh, we know anything about Wilberforce, he uh, is very uh, much ingrained in the city of Hull. Um, and Hull connects to our person we're going to talk about today, uh, William Ward. What's so
1: significant about the town of Hull? Um, uh, the road out um, is, <laughs> is is the most significant thing, really. But um, it is famous uh, or, or remembered for uh, being the birthplace of Wilberforce. Um, and uh, we may have said before that it was also the place where Hudson Taylor um w- kind of did his preparatory work for going to China, uh, being sent to the most difficult place in Britain. Uh, it, it recently won the award for being the most deprived city in Britain too. And, uh, and then only recently it was European City of Culture. So I'm not sure how that kind of went together, but uh, it, it, it's economically depressed, let's say, um, um, but with a great heritage, at least through Wilberforce and others.
0: Well, and Ward came from Hull as well.
1: Well, Ward was uh, from Derby, but um, he would uh, move to Hull um, and uh, he would be trained and, and kind of hone his uh, business as a printer there, which God was clearly preparing him for the mission field to use that uh, along with Carey and others.
0: So let's stop and and take just a moment. Uh, here's a young man. He uh, grows up uh, in in Derby, and um, he's apprenticed to a printer and a bookseller. We're not used to thinking about apprenticeships in our own educational structures in the West much anymore. Um, what would an apprenticeship have looked like for a young William
1: Ward? Um, you. It was very much like being an indentured servant, and, and you would have uh, all the menial tasks for five, seven years, depending mm. on the employer. But it, it, it was very much like surf serfdom or, you know, the, the service that you were doing. Um, and and it certainly wasn't a way that um, you would get rich or anything like this. So uh, <laughs> it it really was the um, the way into having a trade for life, though.
0: Now, one of the individuals who we'll talk about here in just a second, William Carey, is also someone who is uh, trained su- through an apprenticeship, but as a as a cobbler, as a shoemaker, and uh, so we we have these individuals. It's so very common in Britain at this time. That if you were not a family of means, that you were apprenticed into a trade that hopefully would be something that would get you through uh, your entire life uh, as a means of sustaining uh, your family. And so Ward is is trained as a printer um, and as a bookbinder, and even with the the skill of book selling, um, it would have been awesome to have seen some of the the books that went through his hands in his own a uh, uh, day, but. Uh, as a young man, he uh, heard the preaching of the gospel and uh, decided that uh, he was a Baptist and was baptized in whole on uh, the 26th of August in 1796. Uh, what happens after this? Uh, he's baptized, and then it's almost like he's immediately thrust into ministry.
1: Yeah, he, um, he immediately senses that the call of God on his life to share the gospel. It, it's uh, an evangelical conversion. It, it's a conversion to to share Christ, the good news of what he's done for him. And uh, he, he begins to uh, travel to local hamlets around Paul, of which there were many, and uh, he will walk to these places when he, he can't get a horse. Um, on one occasion, he walked seventeen miles um, just to go and preach, and uh, he couldn't get a horse that time. And uh, a thunderstorm, of course, begins as he's walking, so he trudges, you know, the completion of that to the house, and and stands on a stool and then preaches about Christ, and then will have the seventeen miles to walk back. Um, th- these are people who are a great challenge in, in many ways uh, to Christians today, what they were willing to, to do for the sake uh, of the gospel.
0: And so even while he's preaching in all of these venues uh, around in these villages, he's still practicing his trade. He's not given up printing. He's not uh, given up uh, any of that. In, in fact, uh, he actually becomes uh, one of the publishers uh, of uh, of a paper right uh, the whole advertiser
1: yeah he works there um, as the editor he he um, does a great job he's liked by the owner he says he he really likes hull which is amazing to me as somebody from there um he he loves to go out into the countryside to look at the river humber he will look at the beauty of things around um and and when it uh, finally uh, kind of emerges that he will be leaving Hull, uh, he's actually um, very sad at, at the thought of doing that, um, of going off to to study for the ministry. And when he goes to study,
0: uh, he he goes and he works with John Fawcett. Uh, Fawcett w- is a name that, if you study Baptist history, comes up. Uh, quite a bit, uh, when we think of Fawcett and kind of the training that uh,
1: that Ward would have received, what would that have looked like? Um, yeah, Fawcett had a small academy. he would uh, take only about two to three students a year um and and it would have to be financed and and Ward certainly wasn't able to finance it himself, but um a a benefactor um offers to to you know that his gifts are recognized mm-hmm. and so a, a man offers to pay that and that happens but uh, baptists are not allowed to go to university because they can't swear the oath of allegiance and and so they're prohibited from that by law and so the only education that is accept you know accessible to you um as a free churchman would be in these academies such mm-hmm. as here and at bristol um, and and you know, Fawcett's was one of the the well known, and uh, it would have been um, pretty um, deep and demanding, um, not just uh, theology but classics as well. And in that, it
0: gave a well rounded education that would give him a foundation for what eventually would become fairly significant work.
1: Yeah, these these people, you know, people like Ward and, and Carey who never had any kind of education like this. Um, if you don't have something like what Fawcett offers, then you have no basic education at all, really, certainly nothing um, to do with theology or history or anything else that might be of value.
0: So as he's going through, he's he's working with Fawcett, he's, he's learning more, he's deepening, and, and along the way, he becomes increasingly convinced that uh, God was calling him to be a missionary. Uh, we may not see that as that unusual if we have a seminary student here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary come to us and say, you know what, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. I mean, we, we talk about missions all the time and God's uh, call for uh, uh, us to go to the ends of the earth. But this was rather unusual for this day and time. What was happening amongst British Baptists that created an awakening uh, in the mission cause uh, here at this time, at the close of the 1700s.
1: Yeah, British Baptists um, had suffered from um, no desire to share the gospel. Um, the, The General Baptists had lost their kind of grip on any vital... Evangelical theology and, and drifted into Unitarianism and, and other kind of heresies. Um, the particular Baptists had drifted off into hyper Calvinism, where you know God will save the elect, but you don't have to be involved. In fact, you really shouldn't be involved because uh, you might offer things that God Himself is not offering—a um, uh, salvation to certain people. So you cannot say the gospel or. Uh, salvation is for everyone because it's only for the elect, and God will do the saving, uh, and you're to stand aside. and And so, basically, it's a clever trick to stop evangelism. And Andrew Fuller, particularly reading the works of Jonathan Edwards and others, comes to the conclusion that um, Christ uh, invites everybody to uh, a, a gospel feast, and you too, like him, are to go out and and welcome whoever will come to that same feast. And so because Fuller and others break this stranglehold um, of hyper-Calvinism, suddenly missionaries um, are, are called of God and respond to that call and go. And during this same time period, we have
0: William Carey, who is the name that we frequently associate with what we might call the Rise of the Modern Missions Movement. Kerry was uh, the first, really, to go from Britain uh, as a Baptist to to go uh, to India to begin to share the gospel uh, with, uh, with anyone, really, he came in contact with. Uh, it was the foundation of the British Mission Society. But it's hard for us, and as I talk with students, it's hard for us to even uh, imagine how— uh incredibly um interested individuals were about even the work of Carey. uh he he was frequently featured in in the times of london he was uh highlighted so frequently uh in his work uh throughout different uh seasons as he would write letters back uh to britain talking about what god was doing uh there in his work he almost became a superstar, uh, if, if we were to use that, that phrase. But he had made an appeal that he needed someone to come and print, because one of the foundations for missions work was uh, production of a Bible in the language of the people so that they could hear the gospel in their own language. And this is something that Kerry had already been working on, and he needed someone to come and print. Uh, what do you think are the odds that uh, this might have been part of ward's uh, understanding of calling
1: well it's amazing isn't it that um, you know god raises up this uh, converted cobbler and and sends him to india but uh, he, and he's incredibly gifted with languages to translate the bible and other materials but then what use is that without the ability to make that known, to spread it abroad. So you need to be able to print the materials. Well, Kerry is there illegally, um, so you can't use the offices of any kind of official printer. So you need your own press. Well, it just so happens that Kerry has already met Ward. He met Ward in 1793, Mm -hmm. and uh, he told Ward of his plan that he was going to translate the Bible. He expected it to be done within four to five years, and then he would need somebody to print that Bible. And, um, you know, his, his words to Ward were that he hoped he would be the man to come and print it for him. And, of course, this was several years before Ward was even called to go on the mission field,
0: what a what an incredible way for Carrie to even plant the seeds in the heart of a young man who's who's preparing for ministry.
1: Yeah, he put his hand on his shoulder, and um, you know the quote is he said, "I hope by God's blessing to have the Bible translated and ready for press in four or five years. You must come and print it." For me. He volunteers
0: to be a missionary. He volunteers with the Baptist Missionary Society. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's do this work. He's joined with uh, another missionary by the name of John Marshman. And with Marshman, Ward, and Carey, these three formed what became known as the Serampore Trio, those three who worked together to advance uh, the gospel uh, within that region of the world. Now, uh, when he got to India, he's, he's sailing with, um, when Ward and Marshman are sailing to meet Kerry, there's a, a governmental destabilization, and he's not able to uh, actually go to the town of Calcutta where uh, Kerry was working. So instead, they go to the next kind of city where they could function and work, uh, which was Sarampore, and Kerry actually joins them there. That's the Sarampore trio component. So as Ward sets up shop with his uh printing press and and all of these components what is some of the work that comes out of uh their shared missionary venture
1: Yeah they I mean the the Carey will spend most of his time in Calcutta and he will occasionally travel to Serampore at uh, Serampore is outside the jurisdiction of the East India Company and the British authority there under the the Danish kingdom. And so there's much more freedom for work. And and so you're able to set up this printing press. You're able to have a kind of missionary center. And and both uh, Marshman and Ward uh, will will not only prepare uh, Christian materials for printing, but they'll do other work which will fund the press for the government uh, and uh, other materials for schools they will uh, go out and preach they will uh, use the services of those who uh, begin to be converted to teach them the language to help them uh, have introductions to people to preach the gospel in, in different places it, it it's an amazing evangelistic center that Serampore um, becomes um, and um, you know i, I was uh sad to read that, you know, only recently that, that the printing press and, and the whole facility was only leveled in the 1970s mm-hmm. uh, when digital printing uh, took over. Yeah. To, you know, to think that that carried on really to me was uh, an amazing thing. Um, and, even- and just
0: even in their day, the fact that they typeset a foreign language that they they sometimes didn't even know yes yeah. uh, to be able to print this uh to to distribute and, and if i remember correctly it was some 26 different bible translation languages that they that they produced all from
1: uh Sarampo. yeah and of course they had to create the typeface um by hand mm-hmm. you know everything really is to be done by hand the printing of the paper um the the creation of the different alphabets—it's amazing what they were doing.
0: It's it's so fascinating. And then even as you were saying, the fact that this this press still exists all the way until the nineteen the seventies—what uh, an unbelievable uh, legacy that they're able uh, to make. Now, Ward eventually uh, towards the end of his life, he makes his uh, his his makes his way back to Britain, um, but for what we might consider a retirement of sorts. Uh, mainly due to bad health is why why he goes back, but uh, he doesn't sit on his hands. He he becomes one of the the main fundraisers um, to help uh, found and really to build a college at Sarampore so that they could uh, train new converts to be pastors, so that you could raise up indigenous indigenous people groups to be able to um, uh, to be
1: able to do that. Yeah, even traveling as far as America. Um, to come and raise funds and and make this mission yeah. known and have support, not just financial, but prayer support. Um it, it, again, the the lengths and and the the energy and the health and you know, it became their lives. They put everything into this. And
0: he eventually makes it back to Sarempore, which is actually where he dies mm-hmm. on, on March 7, which is our uh date for this week, uh, and thinking through uh an important life from this time period. By the end of his uh, end of his work, he had uh, written a, um, a a major uh, work categorizing and cataloging just uh, Hindu religion. Uh, it, it wasn't necessarily a, a gospel kind of thing. It was just the work of someone who had studied and lived and worked to try to help other people understand what was happening. Uh, in in the country, and then of course uh, his own autobiography, uh, which you can uh, actually read online uh, for yourself if you want to do that. Uh, are there other things that you would recommend if somebody was interested in, in just missions at the really at this kind of early phase and and outset that that some of our
1: our listeners should be reading about this? Well, one of the greatest things that exists is um his uh, spiritual journal mm-hmm. um which uh, extracts from that were published in The Older Life of Ward and Carey and Marshman. So there are extracts of that. So you have his, his own words describing his call to the mission field, the kind of struggles he went through, that the, they had issues with the Baptist Mission Society. So all of that is in there, his own kind of dependence on God and that kind of thing. Um, you know, he writes these words um, when he was felt the call to go. He said, conscience commands me to go, to enter a new line of life, to combat difficulties and prejud- prejudices, to be the subject of the cavils of the bigot and the frowns of the dissipated, to incur the displeasures of the mermaids of professors, half-sinners, half-saints, to live, perhaps, on a few pounds a year, to warn men night and day with tears, to tremble, lest I might be a castaway, and that the blood of the damned soul should be required at my hands. Who is sufficient for these things? Uh, he realized that he really wasn't uh, sufficient for what God was calling him to, but God was. Mm. Um, he, he, when he went back to poor. Um, he only lasted sixteen months, and then he died of cholera. Um, it, it, you know, it again. It's an incredible challenge uh, to us, I think, in the comfortableness of, of Christianity today, um, to to learn from these kind of giants who went before.
0: And, and it's it's to that that uh, I think we'll bring our time to a close. But to encourage perhaps our listeners to pray about how God might call them or use them. Uh, even if they're uh, not necessarily trained in seminary or other uh, aspects like that, God may be calling you to go, to be a missionary, just just like uh, he did with Ward. Listen to these uh, words from the, the close of Ward's autobiography, uh, and we'll close with this. Seeing then that infinite wisdom and love thus guides all things, what remains but that we all who have seen so many of the servants of God around us removed in this past year, adore in humble silence, take new courage and go forward in the work of him who will cause his church to increase till like the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, it shall have filled the whole earth. Thank you listeners for joining us for this week
1: in church history. We will see you next week.